Caitlin. <clears throat> I really enjoy our sitting before our sitting. <laughs> the five minutes when we open the door and people begin to come, come in, and it's uh, it's quiet. It's a it's an it's a nice additional time of sitting. <clears throat> I'll um, invite the bell as a further invitation for our continued sitting together.
these words are from um, Pablo Neruda. Just a few lines from a longer piece of poetry. The title of that poem translated into English <clears throat> is <clears throat> Keeping Quiet. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Excuse me. As I often do each year on the Tuesday that follows um, the Martin Luther King holiday here in the United States, uh, I often reflect on um, 
I guess what I'll call today the Dharma of Martin Luther King. And for those of you who uh, live in the UK or in Europe, uh, I'm sure that his uh, teachings and his presence and his history probably echo into those uh, those regions as well. It, not just about what happened in the United States, although it was quite particular about what happened here. And those 13 years between December of 1955 and April 4th of 1968, uh, when the movement that Dr. King started was was thriving until his his death, his murder. And, you know, he's the only non-president to have a national holiday dedicated in their honor. And he's the only non-president memorialized on the Great Mall in the nation's capital here in the United States. He's quite, quite a unique man, as we know. Um, <clears throat> this sort of theme that I've been speaking to and inviting you to reflect on uh, in your own inquiry this year, just the last few weeks. Uh, who am I without you? As we uh, kind of touch this this, uh, this space of understanding uh, our a deep and um, really inconceivable kind of connection that, that is so personal and yet so vast, like that robe of liberation we just chanted. And last week about what the world needs, uh, this formless field of benefaction, um, how essential love and compassion is. Uh, and then later as we, in, a, in the chant, uh, wearing the universal teaching, it's, it's an allusion to wearing, you know, the robe, but wearing the teachings, taking the teachings into our body because embodiment is so essential. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature thus harmonizing all being, which is really the echo of Dr. King's message. And he sacrificed his body for it. <clears throat> when I was reflecting on these things that it brought to mind, as it often does, um, you know, a quotes or pieces of poetry. And, and I was remembering um, the Zen teacher Ezra Beda's um, beautiful piece called What Is Our Life About? And it starts with our aspiration our calling, our desire for a genuine life is to see the truth of who we really are, that the nature of our being is connectedness and love, not the illusion of a separate self to which our suffering clings. It's such a nice summary. And this connectedness and love, the nature of our being is connectedness and love. Those are the first two inquiries of the year. Who am I without you connected and love and compassion, not the illusion of a separate self to which our suffering clings. So this is our calling, our desire, our aspiration for a genuine life to see the truth of who we really are, because that's what uh, that's what inquiry is about. So today, in reflecting on Dr. King, I'm going to, in a moment, use some of his quotes and just reflect on them a bit and, and say some things. Um, but I began to think, when, when I was looking at them, how how we're shaped by practice, how we're formed by practice, um, <clears throat> and how that this aspiration, this calling, this desire, um, meets us in a way that we often don't expect in practice. And I, I want you to think about this and reflect on it today. There was once um, when I was at Austin Zen Center, we were practicing in a, a retreat, and um, a, a woman came to me who, for some question and some uh, endokasan, 
and she's basically complaining. <laughs> she was complaining about this and that and how things weren't going the way she thought they should. And um, it was having a lot of difficulty. And I worked with her a bit. And then I can say my own frustration, I spoke a little more strongly than I often do. Uh, and I, I won't do it with the, the attitude I had then. But I said, you can't always get exactly what you want, but you can become the kind of person that you hope to be. She's like, oh, so this isn't about getting what you want, but it is about becoming the kind of person that you have the aspiration, the calling to be. And so the only reason I remember that moment is because it was, was powerful, but, but because she kept reminding me that that was really useful at that time. And as I was looking over things for today, I came across this, um, these words from uh, Dr. King. He said, we're caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. Strangely enough, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the way the world is made. So there's some moralistic things in there about ought to be, of course, but he's speaking about the same kind of thing, how we shape each other and are shaped by the world that we create and how it's not about so much we can't. He even said, you know, I famously have a dream or he, I could see um, on the other side, I may not get there, you know, but he was talking about what he could see. He may not get what he wanted, but he could shape the world in a certain way. In the first lines of the poem by David White, working together, he said, we shape ourselves to fit this world and by the world are shaped again. We shape ourselves to fit this world and by the world are shaped again. The visible and invisible working together in common cause to produce the miraculous. So this is kind of the context in which I came to these, um, these quotations, which are I'm calling the Dharma of Martin Luther King. And I've grouped them just to help you kind of follow along into shaping relationships and community, shaping an ethical world, and shaping our own hearts and minds. So it's a little clusters of things. So we just walk through these together. Uh, because really this is, um, uh, is dedicated to his, his memory today. Shaping relationships and community. This one really applies these days. And it does not just in the United States, because I've talked to those of you in the UK, and apparently you have political problems too, and other places. Dr. King, people fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they've not communicated with each other. People fail to get along because they fear each other, because they don't know each other and haven't communicated. So our aspiration, our calling, our desire for a genuine life is to see the truth of who we really are. That we doesn't mean just who we are. It means who we are. The truth of who we are. This is truly knowing each other and ourselves, of course, and we all know that communication is important. What we forget is that we're always communicating. There's no way not to communicate. You're always communicating something. 
And as I mentioned in our sitting, one of the primary ways we can communicate is through silence. The spacious presence, the deep listening with our bodies, and then expressing ourselves, uh, for example, in our Zen tradition through the forms, uh, to so that we can kind of sense the rhythm of being in accord with each other and with life as we engage them. So once again, I'm talking about the small world of our practice in, in a certain way. But there's something about silence, and I'm going to return to this a little bit, that is part of that communication. And <clears throat> being caught in a self-centered dream um, is a kind of a burden. A burden full of fear. When Beta says the nature of our being is connectedness and love, not the illusion of a separate self to which our suffering clings. People fail to get along because they fear each other. He, Dr. King also said an individual, and, and by the way, all of the quotations that I read that have uh, pronouns in them, he used what one would normally use at that time, use the, the masculine pronoun. And I'm going to change that. So I apologize, Dr. King, just to open it up a little bit. An individual has not started living until they can rise above the narrow confines of their individualistic concerns to the broader concerns for all humanity. It's a thing you would expect him to say, and it's similar to what I was saying to the student. You may not get what you want, but you can become the kind of person. But it means connecting with all this we. In um, that little book that some of us have studied at Appamata and maybe other places, The Art of Community, Charles Vogel says something very beautiful and, and it's an echo. He said, communities are created when at least two people begin to feel concern for each other's welfare. It's not because you have a goal in mind that, you're that you can have concern for each other. Otherwise, you have a nice working group. It becomes a community. When two or more people begin to feel concern for each other and their welfare. He says, building community creates a venue for friendship. And friendship defeats loneliness. In deep community, we can be valuable and, and still know that we belong. And I would say deep community also defeats fear, which Dr. King was talking about. He further said, Dr. King said, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Remember, we're shaped and we're shaped by the world. He said, I can never be what I ought to be, which I just mentioned to you, until you are what you ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. See, he's teaching mutual causality. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? So realizing the one true nature, we're entering the bodhisattva way of living and being lived. You know, in our pure precepts, we say to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. This is what he's calling. It's, it's not a question, a question of, um, you know, selflessness or sacrifice, uh, although there may be times when we might choose that in a wholesome way, but others 
aren't others anymore when we understand the fullness of oneness. So, for example, self-care and other care are just care. It's not like I will care for me and then I will care for you. It's just care. And that's apamata. That's the definition of that word that the Buddha used it. Mindful, diligent care, grounded in compassion and led by the Bodhisattva vow. And then uh, Dr. King also said in this, um, this group, uh, which I've, I'm calling Shaping Relationships and Community, said those who are not looking for happiness are the most likely to find it. Because those who are searching forget that the surest way to be happy is to seek happiness for others. It's the same message that Dalai Lama gives, you know. He says, there's, everybody wants to be happy, and there's a wise way, and there's a foolish way. <laughs> the foolish way is to try to make yourself happy. The wise way is to support others in fulfilling themselves, and you will definitely be happy. So these are just some uh, wonderful uh, quotations around shaping relationships and community. But a foundation of that is shaping an ethical world, uh, which Dr. King was, of course, essential in, in doing in, in this country. Uh, you know, this is a, a statement that I, I noticed from the, the King Center. He said, during those 13 years, uh, and I can't make this statement, I'm, but the King Center was saying it, it said African-Americans achieved more genuine progress toward racial equality in America than the previous 350 years had produced. It's a very, very powerful work. So shaping an ethical world and with not just uh, racial equality, but economic quality uh, and international peace, Dr. King extended his, his reach. He said, you're not only responsible for what you say, but also for what you do not say. You know, I said I was going to return to silence in a minute. You're responsible for what you say and what you don't say. And, you know, he was speaking a lot about, in this case, um, not speaking up and allowing things to. Um, so right speech is important, but also right silence. Their silence is damaging and their silence that's inviting and useful. There's speech that's damaging and speech that so right speech and right silence. I think we need to add that uh, when we think about what's right. So social justice and truth, you know, those are big questions and a giant tangle. Like, for example, um, we talk so much about uh, how important the golden rule is. Um, the old, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which is a bit of a problem. But the platinum rule is, I think, better, which is do unto others as they would like you to do to them. Not like you would have to do to you. Empathy, certainly, is generated by uh, the golden rule, but it's limited. Treat people like they wish to be treated. If a person, uh, you know, the, the ways in which, for example, white privilege attempts to see what we could do for an African-American community. It's, you don't get to decide that. You need to listen deeply. So speaking up with integrity to tell the truth, um, that this is a formula that I've used in the past, speaking with integrity. Tell the truth, 
with compassion from the place of personal responsibility. So tell the truth, but a lot of people say, well, I'm going to tell the truth and all they're doing is dumping or they're being aggressive because it's their truth, which is kind of bullshit. You know, it's not really true. So tell the truth with compassion, with understanding how you might be causing or relieving suffering and with a lot of responsibility, knowing your limitations and knowing what you're offering and be willing to be wrong and be willing to fail in your communications, but be immensely sensitive to your impact. If you don't ever say anything, you won't be wrong. You won't make any mistakes, but you also might miss opportunities, but be really sensitive to your impact. So you're not only responsible for what you say, but what you don't say. He also said, Dr. King said, one day we will learn that the heart can never be totally right if the head is totally wrong. Only through the bringing together of head and heart, intelligence and goodness shall people rise to a fulfillment of their true nature. I loved finding this because I can remember John Gladfelter when I asked him one time what his definition of maturity was. He said, maturity is when you can think and feel at the same time. That you don't think, oh, what you feel is really more important and don't go into your head. That's a problem. Or if you just think and then don't allow yourself, be able to think about what you feel and feel about what you think. One day we will learn, he said, that the heart can never be totally right if the head is only through bringing together of head and heart. Intelligence and goodness shall people rise to the fulfillment of their true nature. And this is the focus of all spiritual practice is maturity of bringing ourselves fully, not just cognitive, not just emotional, not just physical, not just relational, but a maturity that's beyond the personal, that opens us uh, in the service of, of, of everyone. Dr. King also said the ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments of comfort and convenience, but where they stand at times of challenge and controversy. When things are going well, we all look pretty good. But um, it's the transitions. I say this in retreats all the time. People sit beautifully. They walk beautifully. They eat their food. But it's the transitions. We're sort of like they forget. You know, right in between. Instead of maintaining this sense of uh, intention and integrity and uprightness. You know, we, we teach impermanence and interdependence. And, and those are important. And, but it's very conceptual but it becomes an embodied uh, reality when we face the loss of a loved one, or when we suddenly meet someone who frightens you or challenges you, or as we think, is the pandemic ever gonna end? Or when you lose a teacher, you know, then it's not just impermanence and interdependence. I just saw Darcy shaking her head. When it, when it's devastating, when it knocks you down, then it's reality. That's what we're talking about. Those kinds of transitions. That's when the ultimate measure of our lives shows itself. And Dr. King also said we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. You may not get what you want, but you can become the kind of person that so relative bodhicitta and absolute bodhicitta on the relative 
uh, side of just loving a person and digging in, actually doing the real work, sometimes is disappointing and difficult. But you keep that larger vision of what's possible open through practice and through relationship. We have to manage personal loss in the face of the perfection of reality. So these are a few things that I thought not only echoed the shaping of our relationships and community, but shape our ethical world to the precepts. And then in the last little segment, a couple of quotes on shaping our hearts and minds. Dr. King said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It's a constant attitude. In the Lake District, one year, we our focus in the retreat was uh, Zazen. What, what is Zazen? We were using the Fukan Zazengi, which some of you are aware of, Dogen's instructions on Zazen. And I remember uh, one of the students, it was Mark Gray, some of you know Mark well, and he is, um, one of the things I love about Mark is he'll ask punchy questions, you know, even if he thinks he knows the answer, he, he wants to know what you're going to say. And I see Donna smiling. And he said, what is Zazen really? And I said, I think it's constantly and deeply forgiving yourself for being yourself. Dr. King said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. Whoever is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we're less prone to hate our enemies. And I would say in ourselves, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It's a constant attitude. And the Dhammapada, the, the Buddha said, hatred is never appeased by hatred in this world. By non-hatred alone is hatred appeased. This is a law eternal. And forgiveness is a practice of enlarging our views, expanding our hearts. It's not about excusing things, but it's about meeting everything with wisdom and compassion to see what's actually needed. And that's why confession and repentance is one of the first things we do in our liturgy. And they're facets of this capacity. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. It's about admitting who we are. It's a profound self-acceptance. Taking that into action, of course, Dr. King said, returning violence for violence multiplies violence. Very similar to what the Buddha was saying in the Dhammapada. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So we do have to face our own shadow and to work with it, not exile it, to plunge into endarkenment, not just enlightenment, to find out who we really are and to find out who each other are. See, we're circling back to the fear. And this is the hard work. The final quotation from Dr. King in this segment, he said, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. I've decided to stick with love. 
hate is too great a burden to bear. And in addition to this beautiful rhetoric, which echoes the Dharma in many ways, um, he said, of course, that love, like forgiveness, is a practice and it requires certain things. And there are four things that it seemed like these practices, um, and this is for us, our practice, um, looking at ourselves, discerning between like and love, helping those we hate and seeing the good in everybody. So here's the first practice, looking at oneself. Dr. King said, we must face the fact that an individual might dislike us because of something that we've done deep down in the past. That's why I say, begin with yourself. Just start here. That's what the Han calls us to. Great is the matter of birth and death. So come start with yourself. Start with repentance and confession. Start with taking refuge. Start here, looking at yourself. That's the responsibility. But number two, he said, discerning between like and love. Like is a sentimental something, an affectionate something. There are lots of people that I find it difficult to like. But love is greater than like. Love is understanding. So just like you may not get everything you want, but you can become the person you want to be, you're not going to like everybody and they're not going to like you. But can you not put them out of your heart, even when it's difficult to have them in your life? That's a practice. Always turning toward yourself, finding a way to not put people out of your heart. And number three, taking it further, Dr. King said, when the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is the time which you must not do it. When you rise to the level of love of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems. You seek to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to be caught up in that system, you love. So there are things to fight, but not with violence. And that was one of King, Dr. King's primary methods, of course. And lastly, the fourth one to seeing the good in all, he said, within the best of us, there's some evil. And the worst, there's some good, as I said earlier. Discover the element of good in your enemy. And as you seek to hate this person, find the center of goodness and place your attention there. And you'll take on a new attitude. I don't, I don't think it means making things look better than they are. I think it's about finding our common humanity. And this is the Bodhisattva's way. You know, we have these archetypes of these great Bodhisattvas, Manjushri of wisdom, uh, Avalokiteshvara for compassion, uh, Samantabhadra for great practice, and on and on. Uh, they're archetypes of who we could be, who we could shape ourselves to be. And uh, Taigan Dan Layton, who's a wonderful teacher in our tradition, in his book, Faces of Compassion, he says, Bodhisattvas are not who we think they are. He said, Bodhisattvas are simply ordinary beings making their way back to Buddha. Isn't that a great statement? Ordinary beings making their way back to Buddha. He said, Bodhisattvas appear in the nooks and crannies of your life, just around the corner, living in your neighborhood, waiting to say good morning to you. Bodhisattvas are not limited to a handful of amazing figures and famous people. We are bodhisattvas, making our way back to Buddha. And this is just a little caveat. This is a little warning at the end of all of this uh, expression of this wonderful hero and Dr. King. 
he said, telling stories is a slippery business. Um, uh, this isn't Dr. King's words, but I'm just saying that telling these kind of stories is kind of a slippery business because we can end up telling the stories which makes us feel good or express the ways that we feel bad, but they're self-generated stories and they can be expressions of self-conceit and delusion and self-serving. And that's not the point to get down on ourselves for that. Well, the point is we have abundant resources to help us with this human tendency to create history, to revise it. And it's what bodhisattvas call on. We have mature spiritual teachers we reach out to. We have a whole body of traditional teachings and practices and text to help us not be trapped in enslaving stories and self-centered dreams. Because we do create the history of the past and the future by the stories that we tell and the way we live them out. And, and finally, I, I like this very much. Um, Dan Layton said, and yet, and yet, when we thoroughly decide to take up the work of awakening together with all beings, which is Dr. King's message, and he uses Dr. King in his book, by the way, as an exemplar. When we take up the work of awakening together with all beings and continue to rededicate ourselves to this proposition, it's definitely possible to sit eyeball to eyeball with Buddha and with each of the bodhisattvas without blinking and also with blinking. We can make the stories of heroic bodhisattvas our stories. And we can live our lives thus. And we can take the stories of someone uh, powerful like Dr. King and find our story that accords with that, whoever we are. So now that's my little dedication to Dr. King following our day and the way that the Dharma uh, is open through his teachings and the practices that we can do, the actual things we can do. What are the ways that you want to shape your life through practice? What are the barriers to that? What do you need to look deeply at yourself, to take responsibility and to find your way as a bodhisattva, as an ordinary bodhisattva, stumbling, limited, problematic, beautiful, all of those things. So I am at your service. I'm one of those resources now I was talking about. I'll do my best. If you have questions about your practice and <clears throat> mainly the practice of love and forgiveness. And we can also enjoy our silence, by the way. Hi, Mary Beth. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really well right now. Uh, you know, when I do these little reflections, like I said, I'm just kind of showing you what my practice mind is reflecting on. And so when I go through it, there, I feel like I've, I'm deepening my, my practice in the service of others. So it's, um, I feel a lot. Yeah. How are you doing? Mm, that was so beautiful. The comparison with 
um, the teachings in Martin Luther King. I was just, I'm, that's why I came forward. I was just so moved. I was taking notes and I don't usually take notes, but I wrote down so many things because it was, it, it, it's like, it, it's so timeless what he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just that's wanted to. Thing. His, his yeah. oratory and the place that oratory came from, I think that's why it's sustained for so long and it made such a difference. Uh, and beyond even just the particular work he did, um, there's this something unique about it. And as we know, was, certain people who make that much of a difference are often killed. Yeah. It's too frightening. That really, yeah, th- that, I feel that. Um, I was going to say one part that really, he said, that it's part of my practice right now. Um, it's not about getting what I want. It's about aspiring towards the person I want to be. That was so fascinating to me. I felt that, that one quote. too. What? That was my quote. <laughs> oh, that was your quote. <laughs> okay, that was a Flint quote. No, it's just funny because he said it in many ways. Yeah. That's why I started with that little quote I'd said to my student. You, you won't get necessarily what you want, but you can become the kind of person that you want to be. But then he well, and that's what I'm practicing with. Yeah. Over yeah. And that's what I'm practicing with. So that's another thing. Um, I came forward to say. And one other thing I wanted to say, oh, um, what is our life about by Ezra? Beta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I say I've got the first five lines, the ones you actually said memorized. And um, because when I'm I have it taped beside my cushion over here, because when I'm having a hard time focusing. I or I'm really struggling with my meditation. I just I go to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so beautiful. So I really connected to that today too. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Sure. Yeah, there's so much in that whole piece that's um, really really wonderful. And thank you for coming forward and embodying it. If this is how the teachings start dropping deeper into us, is when we relate to each other and and then people listen and we're together and it, we carry it forward. Yeah, and it's not so bad when it actually drops into me like I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, thank you very much, Flint. I loved it. I love well, what you're practicing you. with. Right. Thanks. Thank you. It's so good to see you. I haven't mm-hmm. seen any of y'all this year <laughs> um, because I finally joined the ranks of those who have had COVID. <laughs> and oh, it was startling (laughs) Uh, a club you didn't necessarily want to join but it's inevitable it was not but you know one of the things during this period and i actually had rsv before christmas oh dear and then just as i was over rsv right after christmas contracted COVID. that one two punch I, i really did and it's been um I I realize how I'm not very skilled at being ill. (laughs) I mean, I don't, I don't do it very lovingly with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I tend to think, you know, I should just will myself out of this. And of course, you know, every time I'm knocked down and realize it has nothing to do with willpower. (laughs) 
it really has to do with rest and letting my body recover itself. And um, not well, you have two reminders just over your right shoulder. You have yeah. the image, the image of the Kuan Yin of compassion and the wisdom saying of don't turn away from life. Right. And and so when I come out of a period of time where my body just I, I, I kept finding myself saying, I just want to feel like myself again, as if when my body is not fit and healthy, I'm I'm no longer myself that I recognize. Sure. You know? So it's all, it, all you. Yeah, it's been a very interesting thing. And and I really was not terribly ill with it, but I did get that um, kind of brain fog situation that people talk about. And I ha had sort of thought it wasn't a real thing before I got it, <laughs> but it is a real thing to the point where really all I felt like I could do was sit. I mean, I, I, I honestly, even watching a show on television, I would just totally lose mm -hmm. interest very easily. And, and so it, it was an interesting practice, but I really missed having the energy, having the the desire to actually want to be in community, want to relate to people. Um, what was and, your and realize I'm so grateful that I can now, you know, <laughs> that I have come back into myself. Or is what that I what called you forward today? Is that why you raised your hand? That's exactly why I raised my hand to say I missed you guys. <laughs> yeah. And to step step into the space of you, it sounds like you wanted people to know what had happened to you too. Sure. Yes. Yeah. I did. And, and I, I, said, wanted, I was hoping you had missed me. <laughs> <laughs> I was speaking about how we're shaped by each experience. And so what I heard you say was the way that you were shaped by these two illnesses and by stepping away and how you could feel that you're held and shaped the, in the poem, it said the visible and the invisible working together uh, to, to help you deepen your understanding of who you are. That you, like I said, bodhisattvas aren't who we think they are. Well, you also aren't what you think you are. And most of us aren't because we have a certain idea and these things disrupt it and we learn more. So I just wanted to add that. Yes, thank you. I'm glad that you're feeling better and so thank good to see you. It's a team effort. It's a team effort. Thank All right, you. there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica, too. Um, I was so glad, so heartened that you centered your thinking and practice and remarks around um, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, because um, Sunday, I'm I'm furiously um, finishing up things for the two-year chaplaincy program that I've been studying in. 
um, the deadline for everything is February 1st. And so I had one last field trip to do. And instead of doing the field trip I was trying to organize that was going to be perfect and blah, blah, blah. I just was like, you know, you can just go to a church that you're not familiar with or, or any faith community. And that can be a field, field trip. So I was like, Bradford, just go to church. It happens like all the time. Um, <laughs> so I went to a church in town um, that I, I won't name because it doesn't um, matter. Um, but it's a very large church in West Austin, a wealthy part of town. And I had a lot of ideas going in. And um, when I was there, um, a couple things I noticed were um, my ideas were totally wrong. These were all really nice people. Um, and that some of the ways that they created the space and the experience for the two services I attended really appealed to my animal body. Um, like all of us, as I've gotten older, I have some um, pain when I'm sitting on a cushion that I didn't used to have. And they had these really comfortable, like deeply cushiony chairs that my body was like, oh, finally, girl. And other elements that were just very familiar and comforting. But I noticed that um, they didn't say anything about it being the Sunday before Martin Luther King Day. And there were other ways that I noticed um, this sort of appeal to comfort. There was no liturgy. There was, it was just kind of singing and then like a message instead of a sermon. Um, that it was missing what I think Dr. King called us to and what you've reminded us of is that it's not all about being comfortable. It's not all about sticking to the familiar, to the people that look like us and the chairs that we feel really comfortable in. <laughs> um, you know, good parking, you know, all those creature comforts that we love because we're mammals. Um, but sometimes it is about discomfort and leaning into that and whether it's physical discomfort or emotional or, or intellectual. Um, and as I was writing, you write a little two page paper, very prescribed um, outline. Uh, so I was writing my paper later on Sunday um, for the chaplaincy program so I could turn it in as my last field trip. Um, you know, I just observed that, um, you know, they hadn't said anything about Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And um, there's some other ways that they had not um, acknowledged difference beyond a sort of white um, heterosexual model of uh, being and um, and also very car oriented. And then I realized that a visitor to Appamata could easily walk away with the same idea. Mm -hmm. Not the comfortable seats, but- um, The parking. Some of the other things. And so that was a call to myself, a reminder of what my intention is. And I guess one thing I heard you say that I sort of somehow never have heard before, which is this idea that um, while we're not practicing for a specific outcome, because believe me, we won't get that specific one, um, we are practicing to become the person we want to be. And the idea that we have a choice, um, 
just uh, seems like a very simple idea that we should have picked up in kindergarten, but it was very profound to me today. And um, it aligns with um, the person I um, wish to be um, in Appamata and in other circles of my life so that a visitor doesn't have the experience, um, doesn't risk having the experience that I did at this church of um, potentially feeling unwelcome um, or that they don't belong. Yeah, even when people are being kind. Yeah. yeah. And, and people have gone to a lot of trouble to make things comfortable, but that's not the same as being um, truly present and welcoming. That's right. So discomfort can be good. <laughs> uh, and even if you don't, uh, there's no reason to add discomfort in the world, but it's important to not cover up the discomfort that's woven into the fabric and to turn toward that so you can wake up like the old sign behind Sheila, you know, like to help us remember. <clears throat> and that's, that's unpleasant sometimes. That's why we don't want to look. Yeah, and they had sort of edited all of that out. And especially when it makes us feel uncomfortable because we realize we're foolish or have a limited view or it makes us feel like, oh my God, I completely miss that. I don't know how I, and, and that's why forgiveness is so incredibly important and why sitting in Zazen, we sit upright and with some dignity, even if we've made a fool of ourselves, we're reminding, oh yeah, that was a Buddha making a fool of themselves. I didn't lose that. And so I, I can uh, making our way back to Buddha. I love that statement. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> so in the, the service of, of all of this, um, I think it would be useful for us to invoke the Bodhisattva vow at the end today, as we did last week, um, in the, the spirit of uh, the Zen tradition and also in the tradition of nonviolence and mutuality that, that Dr. King taught. So I'll, I'll screen share since not all of you are familiar with this. Beings are numberless. I vowed to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it. Beings are numberless. We vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. We vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. We vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. We vow to embody it. Beings are numberless. This vow frees them all. Delusions are inexhaustible. This vow ends them all. Dharma gates are boundless. This vow enters them all. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. This vow embodies it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, Flint, and thank you, everyone that came forward. Apamata's programs and facilities are so generously um, brought to us by all of you. So thank you for your generosity. Um, I'm going to place a link in the chat, kind of like I, I do each week, and you can feel free to make a contribution here. Um, 
knowing that our model is one of generosity and everything is um, completely brought free of charge. So our teachers like Flint and Peg and all of the entrusted teachers uh, bring these, these wonderful teachings uh, absolutely free of charge. So please do give generously. And if you can uh, stay after and have a chat with Maria, our wonderful after inquiry monitor. <laughs> Thank you all so much.